Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Pastalka. I am just so excited here because with me today, I've got Brian Bendig from Cavalier Tool. Thanks so much for being here, Brian. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Man, I am excited. I, we're gonna, I'm excited for a lot of different things. First of all, I, you're, the company that that you've been leading here and and your father started years ago is awesome. Personally, we got some fun stuff to talk about. We didn't even get into yet before we got going online here, but I'm excited. So, Brian, just tell us a little bit about Cavalier Tool. Just a microchip of it, a brief overview of what's going on with Cavalier Tool and what are you, what are you guys doing there? And then we'll we'll get into your background and a little bit more stuff beyond sure. that. So so Cavalier Tool, we are a often you hear the term mold and die. We are a yep. mold shop, so we build high pressure injection molds uh, for the plastics industry. So traditionally, anyone you know any plastic part that you would hold in your hand, be it an Apple phone, sunglasses, automotive. That's anything made of plastics. We are a mold maker. So we would uh, machine metal uh, to create a form to which then you would inject plastic and come out with that plastic piece. So we are mold makers. Uh, we're noted to be from about medium to large in size. And from a physical company, we are, I think, the 26th largest uh, tool shop in North America. 26th. I, I didn't know. 26th largest. So we'll, we'll talk about molds and the injection molding and the stuff you build, because man, if people haven't looked at uh, the Cavalier tool website, they need to go look because you can look at the equipment. You can look at the other stuff. It's just super cool. And uh, if you're in manufacturing and you've ever been around molding, you'll want to check it out just because it, it just got to look at it. And I'm going to say that about a hundred times because I really believe it. And I, I've spent a lot of time in the last month or so just looking at it. But Brian, the, the thing that I want to get, let's talk a little bit about your background and some of your hobbies, because you got some fun stuff going on here. Now, you didn't start out in the molding business, like many of the people in the, in the mold building business, correct? Well, I, I started early. So my, my grandfather was a blacksmith. Yeah. Um, and my dad had started the tool shop. So I did start as, as a, a very young man at 15 years of age in the mold shop, but on weekends, Saturdays and Sundays. Yep. And I did work through high school and into college. But as I got into college, I did split off and I, and I went down a different path for a number of years. And then have since uh, come back and back into the tool, the tool trade. Yeah. Yeah. So your dad, Ray, I believe, I'm sorry, I don't have my show notes right in front of me, but your yeah, dad, Ray. Ray started the business in 1975. So was, was he a tool maker? He was. He yeah. was. So my, my father uh, went to WD Lowe here in Windsor, which at that yeah. time was noted to be a, a trade school. And the, the very first or one of the very first and very large uh, shops was International Tools, ITL. 
Yeah. And my, my father did uh, go to ITL. He started there. And at that time, he was the CNC leader. So he kind of run most of the CNC department at ITL. That's awesome. Because, I mean, you, you and, and people, if you're looking at the website, you see his dad stand alongside you in a picture on there. And I go, he looks like a tool maker. Because I used to know a lot of them, right? Because I've worked in the molding industry. But it's so cool that that. And when you hear the stories of people that were your father's age, how they were able to get their experience from a company and then start their own, it's really something. Yeah, that was that was very common in the city. Yeah. Uh, there was quite a few shops. In fact, I, I don't know the real number, but I would suspect uh, way more than half of the shops here in the city. Someone in that shop likely started an ITL and branched out. It was very common at that time. That wow. Everyone picked a path and, and they went down their own path and it, it blew up. Yeah. Yeah, that's something. Well, we got to go. We got a bunch of people in here and there's comments like crazy. I'm going to start flip. I'm going to flip up a couple comments. We got somebody that we know here. Gail Robertson. Yep. She's shouting out to some of the people in the Cavalier team. That's awesome. Thanks for being here, Gail. We got, uh, oh, let's see. This is somebody. I don't know if this is somebody. No, don't think you were the first. I don't know if you know Brian or not, but I do know Brian. Yes. There He's we not. go. Hello, Brian. And who else we got? Gail's got some more comments in here. I'm trying to, oh yeah, I think you know this guy. (laughs) (laughs) My mackling team. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, there you go. Tim's there. We got Matt Goosey out of Wisconsin. Matt's got a machining shop down there. He's hanging out of that anvil. I know what he's got under his right hand there. Yep, yep. Good size too. Yep, he's still still clinging to the hope that the Green Bay Packers get in the Super Bowl this year. So... We'll see on it. And Ingar's here. Thanks so much for being here. And then Jake Northrup out of the. I, oh, yeah. Yeah. Jake is our Minnesota uh, representation for sales. So he's nice. our Midwest. And nice. Yep. Iowa, Nebraska, and such. Very good. Very good. Got lots of people in here. I'm sorry if I miss you because we got to get back to Brian and to some of the stuff. So, Brian, I, I can't help but not talk about your hobby, okay. one of your hobbies. So, you like to you like to race cars. I do. So tell me a little bit about your racing and what what kind of cars are you racing and and just a little bit about that. Sure. So so I've always been what I would call a car guy. Uh-huh. In fact, when I was uh, when I was very young, I used to buy cars and I would I would bring them home, clean them up and sell them. And I actually had a, a letter in the mail one time that I had to appear in the court and I was charged <laughs> with curbside. Yeah. And I recall going in and wondering, you know, what the heck is this curbsiding? And what it is, it's it's kind of the idea of owning or operating a dealership. Uh, the ownerships went through my name, but I didn't remit the tax. Yeah. And, uh, yeah so yeah. at a very young age, I was flipping cars. And I, you know, so I, I I love cars and I've had quite a few cars. And and you might expect I could drive a little fast. I talk fast. I walk yeah. fast. I do business fast. I enjoy driving fast. And um, always been a car guy. So I've had some Mustangs, Camaros, got into the Porsches, different things. And I had picked up... Uh, an 09 911 turbo and a good friend that that is very much into racing and his son is uh is actually pro driver oh, uh, wow. got down the track and i was instantly hooked i went out there for a day and i could not get the smile off my face and really? i just, i've just picked it up and as it turns out I'm, I'm pretty good at it i've uh i've done really well and it's uh it's a total adrenaline sport and it's crazy and i love it i have no problem doing 150 mile an hour four inches from another car going into the turn mm-hmm. i enjoy it <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. That I mean, it's not crazy. I mean, it's cool. It's cool because I've 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 not raced myself. I've gone plenty of times too fast, and and on the track, I've even I've been able to not like that. But um, 
I've been able to do a couple of experiences, but I got to believe that that kind of racing and the precision and the attention to detail that it takes. Actually, people wouldn't really understand it until I, I was talking to a guy that was an engineer on the, the Corvette. What is it? The 24 hour team that oh, they yeah. had. And, and he, yeah, he was explaining to me something about the, the, <laughs> The fact that the the fenders in the back they make them a little bit narrower than the ones in the front, like by fifty thousandths of an inch on each side, because you know, and and I and I was sitting there thinking to myself that a sport like that where you're racing those things, um, the attention to detail and the precision and the driving and the equipment that you're using really helps in the injection mold building business because of the need for precision and attention to detail there. I would agree. It's something that you've got to be repeatable. You've got to be focused. You've got to be on, yeah. um, you know, and it's, uh, it's a challenge, but I, I really enjoy it. And in fact, it's, uh, I come back after a weekend of racing and I'm all smiles. I just think it's the best thing in the world. And you know, the cheapest thing about it's buying gas. Gas is really the cheapest thing in racing. Yeah. Everything yeah. else is a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you used to have a custom motorcycle addiction. That was, that was the, the, the first I did it in snowmobiles. I actually was a big, uh, I'm a big snowmobiler. I've probably had over 50 snowmobiles and uh, oh my. I was doing some drag racing on the snowmobiles on ice and different things and yeah. a couple injuries and rollovers and such. And then I, I kind of got away from that and got into the cars. And I really yeah. enjoy it. I really do. Yeah. It's a lot, it's a lot safer in the cars. Yeah. That's for sure. We've got some other people here. David Chrysler. I've got John Baglino. We've got uh let's see there's a whole bunch more here uh, and gail there's just a lot of comments coming on i'm going to try to keep people up when i can but uh thanks so much everyone for stopping by let's see i gotta get that one off and off there we go um so brian when we talk about talk about the the cavalier tool i i think about a couple things first of all you're a second generation owner of this business mm -hmm. And one of the things that I do in my business uh, is I help people figure out what what they're going to do in their business when they're ready to do whatever's next in life. And and when I look at the situation there, did your dad talk to you before the time when you needed to take over the business about taking over the business? Or was it your dad? It was just time and you needed to take it over for other reasons and, and you just did. Or or how did that that happen? Okay, well, th this is a, a crazy story. Interesting. Um, so what it was is I was in another business and I was doing my own thing and, and my my father had been sick. Um, and at that, you know, previous to me getting here, he had been sick yeah. and he was in and out of the hospital. And um, as it turned out, he he had uh, an autoimmune disease and they had given him a, a whole bunch of drugs at some point to to try to bring around it on the other side. And in doing that, it, it, it shot his kidneys. So mm. in doing this, he came out of the hospital and required dialysis. So mm -hmm. he had done dialysis and then got into the peritoneal dialysis. And uh, this was every second or third day that he would have to do dialysis. And then um, he had, uh, so it, it was kind of weird. One day, um, I'm just, I think I was at my house and my phone rings. It's my dad. And he says, Brian, it's dad. And I said, hey, dad. And, you know, he says, I need to talk to you. He says, find a quiet spot. And I, I really need to talk to you. I said, hey, you know, okay. And uh, it was him. And he says, well, your mom's driving the car. I'm in the passenger seat. We got a phone call about 20 minutes ago and we're heading to the hospital. They're going to do kidney transplant surgery tonight. 
Oh God! They've got a match. They found a donor. I'm in for pre-op, and I'm heading my my way up. And he had said to me, he says, you know, I, I need to have a conversation. They told me that my chances of surviving are about thirty percent. So this oh, might my. be the last time I ever talk to you. Huh. So I'd like to I'd like to talk to you a little bit. And at, at, on that call, he had kind of said, you know, uh, times are tough. Uh, the business has been very challenging. He says uh, we've got a lot of uh, CNC guys. We've got a lot of engineers. We've got a lot of machinists, but we don't have a mouthpiece. You're a great sales guy. You're a guy that can sell. And that's what he'd call me the mouth. And he says, we need a mouthpiece. And I would like you to consider leaving your current career path and uh, coming back to Cavalier. And if I, if I don't make it, and if this is the last time you talk, I'm going to give you my half of the business if you make it. And that was really how that was. It took an hour and a half to, to get to that. But at yeah. the end of the day, it was like, you know, if you can do this and you can pull through, I'd like you to take over and run the business because I believe in you, I trust in you, and I know you can do it. And that was really how I, I came back. And I came back in a sales role. And uh, my dad did have the surgery and he came out of it. We got, uh, he got nine years, nine years on that kidney. And he passed away awesome. years ago. So it was a blessing. And uh, I came in a sales role and I, I really just started selling. And about that time, 07, 08, 09 came around and there's recession and doom and gloom and I just chose not to participate. I knew it was going, but I didn't want to play in the recession game. I yeah. Give a crap. You guys go put your head in the sand. I'm going to go and sell something. Yeah. That's what I did. I drove all over the damn place and I just brought business back. And that that's really what I did. I wouldn't take no for an answer. And I kept selling and selling and selling. And then we eventually brought the sales up and brought in some new people and reinvested and, and kind of grew it. And off we went. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, and to hear, to hear, Yeah. It, to hear the the story of your dad calling you that day and and amongst all the emotions that would have been in that call uh to put the faith in you like he did crazy phone call didn't sleep a whole lot that night <laughs> no doubt because <laughs> i mean he hadn't talked to you about this before and no. he just just said this it was a kind of out of the blue thing i was i was going down my own my own path and um you know, he'd gotten sick. And I think the realization was, you know, what do I do? I'm not going to be here. Where's this go? This was his business at that time. Maybe oh, I'm trying to do the math quick in my head, probably 30 years or, or such. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was grasping onto the life, uh, the life raft and he knew that uh, he had to do something. So it was a strange phone call, but you know, deep down, I, I knew I could do it. I believed in myself and I went into my employer and said, Hey, look, I know we talked about this, this path, but I've had a, a 180 turn and here's what I'm doing and here's why. And he supported me. He said, you got to do it. Go do it. Go to your dad and go make him proud. And I, I did. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. That's, that's a, that's just awesome. I mean, to be able to, to come and help and then not, not just that part, that part in itself is very cool to be able to do that. And I think as a father to be able to do that with a son would be, you know, mind blowing. Um, but now, you know, that was that was 20 years ago when that started, right? 20, it's at 21 years ago almost, or maybe. Yeah, right in there. Yeah. So you've been able to take it. So at that time, how many people were at the at the company? I think we were we were on a decline because we yeah. were coming into the recession. And yep. and and don't hold me to it. I think we started maybe give or take 55, 60 people, okay. got down to maybe high 30s, low 40s. Yep. And today we're 230 some odd. There you go. There you go. It, it, we really did turn it around and it was crazy. And I just wouldn't take no for an answer and just went and sold the hell out of the place. Yeah. Well, in 2001, when you were getting into injection mold building, that's about when I got out. 
and and I've got I've got to wonder. There have been so many technology changes in molding. So many. Uh, I mean, because I was looking at your website, and you know, you're not just building injection molds. You're building compression molds, and you're building molds that are made for two shot molding. And and people that don't understand molding probably don't know what we're saying, but everything from a toothpaste to the interior of your car is molded. Don't <laughs> remember it's all made out of that. And it all takes a great big bunch of steel to, to form right that happen. plastic. Yeah. And so what have been some of the, just the mind blowing changes that you've, you've seen over the years and you go, this is, I just never thought this would happen. So, so a couple of things that stick with me when we think of selling or opportunity. Um, so Windsor Essex is, is a, uh, you know, a border city to Detroit, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And there was quite a few shops that were set up here primarily because of the exchange rate. So okay. every yep. U.S. dollar at that time was worth, you know, at one point it was like a buck 50. So mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of shops kind of started in this area because of the exchange rate. And then there was a very close proximity to Ford Chrysler and GM. Yeah. So when we think about selling or shopping, most tool shops would shop Michigan or Ohio. There wasn't a lot of range. Uh, when I come into it, we were immediately, you know, immediately like Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska. We tried to go past that automotive. Yeah. And that's why we really grew as a non-automotive company. Today, it's global. I mean, we'll take programs. The customer might be a German customer, but he's got an assembly facility down in Mexico, as an example. Yeah. So we talked to the Germans. We're PO'd in American dollars and sell into Mexico, as an example. That's really changed. Um, you know, the way we sell is quite differently. I mean, we used to get in the car and drive and look for silos. Silos held all the plastic. You knew it was yeah. older and well, that guy's got to have plastic. He's got to need molds and then go knock on the door. And that's how I did it today. That sales cycle is completely different. Yeah. And uh, we really sell on speed. So mm -hmm. way back when um, some of these tools, I mean, they would take half a year to build yeah. these tools. Yeah. Today, you know, we build the vast majority of our tools in like 12 week time frame. You know, we've really? got we building eight, seven, six. When the hand sanitizers came out, I think we had four or five tools that we built in 15 days. So the automation, the equipment we have, the, just the firepower has really changed. The speed and accuracy is really just blown up. Yes, because th this is this is mind blowing. Because yeah, to, to build a tool in 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 twelve weeks in the in the time when I was in, I mean, you just didn't have the the data integration from the design all the way through the the tool like you do now that can control the machines and everything else through the CNC programs and everything like it, like it does today. Mm -hmm. But you, speed is one of the things that you've focused on in your, in Cavalier. And quality I saw, is assumed. Every, yeah. No one says take the quality out. I'll, I'll take less quality. Nobody says that. Yeah. 20 yeah. years ago, quality came up in every conversation you had. Yeah. 10 years ago, not so much today. Nobody talks quality. Quality is assumed. Yes, no it is. Thinks you're going to get a poor product. So we can't speak to quality. Everyone wants to talk price. You know, less is better. You know, if I pay, you know, 100 grand is one thing. If I get it for 80, well, heck, that's better, right? So you're always fighting that that cost or that that sell price. But the one thing you can really sell on is speed. Yes. If the competitor's at 16 weeks and I'm at 12 weeks, I should be able to ask for more money, shouldn't I? Mm -hmm. So we've really developed this thing about speed to market and building tools very quick. And it's not that we get twice the price. We get a little bit more money for them. Yeah. But we tend to build them faster. And in, in doing that, what did we have to set up? We actually run five different shifts here. We run five shifts. So there's yeah. days, 
there's afternoons, there's midnights, and then there's back-to-back -back continentals. Um, we've got uh, days and afternoons in a design facility. I, I, we have um, three locations in India that we do a lot of design and product development and part mm -hmm. design and, and different things, and they run days and afternoons. So say you needed, as an example, 400 hours of design, and you worked 40 hours only on a day shift, right? You're 10 weeks to get that design out. Mm -hmm. But look at me running a day shift here and double split shifts in India. We're doing that design. What might take a competitor 10 weeks, you know, we're doing in four. Yeah. And, you know, put the firepower on the machine behind it. You can really get a lot of momentum. Yes. The downside with creating this scenario is you tend to attract a lot of uh, problem programs. Programs that are off the rails or sideways or, you know, it's always a panic. Mm -hmm. So we do get a lot of uh, barn burners, you know, where the guys come in and they're, they're all freaked out and panicked and they need it yesterday. So yeah. that's one of the downsides of doing what we do. Yeah. But to go that fast, you have to be very, very, your process has to be very sound. Otherwise you'll go out of business making mistakes. Absolutely. And this is why people ask, why don't you build end of arm tooling? Why don't you buy fixtures? Why don't you build this? But we're not good at building all that. We're really good at building molds and, and a type of mold. Like we, we don't do, you know, multi-cavitational tools like, uh, like toothpaste caps, yeah. example, 64, 100, you know, 20 yeah. cavity tools. We don't do that. It's a whole different thing. One or two cavity and, and we do it very well. Yeah. Well, yeah. and you do big molds too. And that's the other yeah. thing when, when, when people, and let's, let's, let's talk about the size of a typical mold for you, because if someone, if you just guessed what a physical size or, and weight of a, of a typical mold that you, you build. So small for us is anything under about 20,000 pounds. Yeah. The norm is give or take like 25,000 to 50,000. That is a big part of what we do. And I think last year we probably built five tools that were greater than 80,000 pounds. Yeah. So we're actually craned for 50 metric ton or 110,000 pounds. Yeah. So think about how many Ford trucks we could pick up on a crane one time. Like it's, it gets pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, because when you look at, I know people can see it in the pictures on your website again, but in the injection molding world, when you're doing something, the biggest mold I've ever seen was molding the inside of a, a dishwasher in one shot. And that was down in Tennessee. I believe it was a Maytag plant at that time. And <laughs> you know, that's, you probably, what's that? We built a bunch of those for Maytag. Uh, you probably, I probably saw one of your molds. Yeah, dishwasher liner. It was a 3,000, I believe it was a 1,500 or 3,000 ton machine running it. And it was all automated and all this good stuff. But it was it was really something. And and when you look at the kind of tools you build, and, I, and like you said, you built some of those, those things are really the workhorses of industry in the United States anymore because we've been able to, if you look at, if, if someone just goes in their house and looks at the inside of their freezer, their dishwasher, their, their uh, refrigerator, um, just so many different things are molded now. Uh, because of the size of machines have gotten so much bigger and you specializing in that and then specializing in the speed to to market it, it's got to have cre created a niche that you're in that you're becoming known for over time yes yes so one of the things i've always commented or talked about is i want to be recession proof yeah so what does that mean okay it sounds fancy you're recession proof what does that mean well, if half the tool shops went away, what would make them go away? Or, or if I had to survive, what would I need to do? Well, you'd probably want to be diversified. You'd want to be in different products. You'd want to be able to track many, many different types of, of molds mm -hmm. or products or whatever that might be. And we've done that. We, we've got uh, smaller machines, mid, and we've got very large machines. Like some of our bigger machines, you know, are greater than 150 inches of travel. They'll hold 400,000 pounds on the table. They're quite large. 
We can take big projects, little projects. We can take all these different things and we're good at it. And you're right. We've gained a reputation of doing that. And a lot of the guys like it that we're not a big automotive company. And mm -hmm. most of, in fact, all of the big shops are, are predominantly automotive. I mean, they would have a portion that's not, but they really are noted to be automotive companies yeah. and uh, not uncommon. And, and, and it looks attractive because there's a lot of work. They build a lot of tools. Every time there's a new model of platform I'm coming up. Yeah. So there's a big lure to that. But it's yeah. very competitive and they're, they're global. You're competing with many, many countries and the payments aren't so great. It's, it's a challenge. Well, and it's cyclical too. I mean, because if the automotive industry is down, your business is down. You you said it best when you talked about you want to be recession proof. I mean, you from uh, you're into this, that, the other thing. I mean, if you look, you're you're doing like we talked about dishwasher components. You're probably doing things for ATVs, UTVs, other you know snowmobiles, all kinds of stuff that you're doing, uh, trucks, and, and and many different things. But that diversity just something is always going to be going. Yep. So we, we were very proud of the fact that we were noted to be a big automotive um, fan and shroud builder. So for the cars, you've got your radiator. Yeah. And you would have the fan shroud and the, and the physical fan to cool it. And we, for many years, 20 some years, we built, we were probably one of the biggest fan and shroud builder in North America. We have not built a fan and shroud it might be coming up on two years because everything's going electric. So could you imagine if we said we're going to be yeah. the number one fan and shroud builder, we're going to focus solely on that. We'd be out of business today. We wouldn't be here. Yeah. That, that is such a great point because niching down in some cases like that into being that specialist in, in already a kind of smaller industry, it, it really could kill you quickly. Yes. And technology's changed. Like we were a lighting supplier where we were very proud that we did headlamps and tailings mm -hmm. for automotive and, and recreation and different products, of course. And it was really tough. And, and what had happened was the technology changed. LEDs came in, light pipes came in, and it went yeah. into a global arena overnight. And, and man, the business just collapsed here in North America. And, and we were glad to not really be involved with that. There's still some guys that do it and they're very good at it and they build great tools, just not something we're into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that diversity, I, I believe will, will, really pay off for the long run and it has i mean mm. you you guys are now what is it 46 years 47 years 46 46 yeah. i mean that that alone speaks volumes yeah <laughs> it, it really does so what what do you think okay i gotta back up again because i forgot to ask you one question about racing okay so <laughs> what's the fastest you've driven in a car on a racetrack i think my Top, top, top on the racetrack is 262. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And that's one of the fastest tracks in North America. And if you got to come out of five really strong. So you got to take a, a hairpin at about 100 kilometers an hour, and you got to come out hard to get that in the back straight. 262. Whew. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, and, I, and you know, it's funny because we joke about that, and I've tried to beat that, and I've got cameras and all that, so I can legitimately yeah. show I'm not faking the number. Yeah. I've, uh, I've hit that number two or three times and I've not yet beat a 262. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's plenty fast. Yeah. So what's the, what's the one thing that, that you really don't like about racing? Rain. I don't like, I'm not a great wet driver. <laughs> As it yeah. turns out, I'm not very good in the rain. 
that that would be i always you see those those distant traces like the 24-hour stuff like i was talking about and man, that is that is and the other difficult thing is the tracks aren't all in my backyard it's not uncommon to drive sometimes i mean the closest track here uh, real track is you know a four-hour drive from there oh. is an additional four is eight and then you get up to quebec it's 11 hours to get to some of these tracks so it's a challenge and the good ones are always far away every state has one or two good tracks so You've got to do some traveling. Got to put some miles to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, Brian says maybe it sounds like you need a tune up. <laughs> <laughs> more power. Just what they need is more power, which <laughs> bigger brakes and yeah. rubber, right? It's an endless circle here. It is. It is. That's for sure. That's for sure. So, the, um, couple things yet before we, before we wrap up here, it's you, you're look, you're in this, mold building business now you're building these tools what are some of the new technologies that's really exciting to you right now in mold building okay so this this is a tough one to answer because there are quite a few and on different levels so yeah as a general statement one of the big things is automation and and everyone talks automation and automation means different things to different people yeah assembly line for a car you know you automate that line but in our world, I mean, there's different sizes and weights and we don't think of it that way. So automation could be a larger tool changer. So, you know, every tool is to cut something. Well, mm-hmm. you can't use one tool for everything. So then, you know, you might have a cart full of tools. Well, in days past, there were no tool changers. And then an yeah. industry would have eight or 10 tools. And that was quite big that you would have the ability to cut and the machine would automatically grab a second tool and cut and grab a third and cut. Yeah, Today we have tool changers. Our biggest one, I think, is 233 tools. We've got 180s, you know, 120s. Wow. That level of automation allows those machines to run all day, night, weekend, right into Monday morning because you've set it up. There's lasers for measurement. There's the automation's a big thing. The second thing that's coming in really fast um, and has been is the computers and what you're doing with computers. So everyone's familiar with the word simulation, right? We simulate, simulate. Well, what does that Mm -hmm. mean in our world? If you built something and it didn't work, Think of the cost and the time. We're talking thousands of dollars yeah. if it didn't work. We're able to simulate up front, but it's an important tool to go to your customer and say, hey, look, you're looking for this crazy whatever. I know I can build it and I can prove I can build it and build it better than the guy next door. And here's how. And you'll simulate that and you'll show them. It's a hell of a thing to sell to a guy. And we're seeing more of this. So we actually simulate how plastic flows. We simulate mm-hmm. holes. You know, we're up front in our design. These things are important. And, and if you ask me where someone needs to invest in a tool shop, it's it's two-sided. One is the machines, the CNC equipment, and the automation of that. The second is the upfront and the engineering. Mm-hmm. The, the biggest Achilles heel to most people is the engineering. The inability to get the information through the shop in a timely manner. Yeah. I just want to let that sink in a bit because it because two things, and you 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 breeze right by this. People that haven't seen an injection bone don't don't realize that one component of that mold could be fifty thousand dollars and and literally gazillion hours of machining and design in it. Yes. And when you talk about the way injection molds are designed and built to make it, you know, a plastic part come out the right size, I mean, there's shrinkage in the in the plastic and all the different things, the way the mold moves and comes together and all that has to be included in that. So the simulation software and the engineering on the front of it to make sure it, it ensure it comes out right it is huge 
I'm sure in the, the size and the complexity of the tools that you're building today. Absolutely. And keep in mind, quality is assumed. Yes. So when you're building this, the customer doesn't ever expect you, hey, I made a mistake. I'm going to be four weeks late. Like heads are going to roll. Yeah. It's catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. I think you you hit it very well there. We're talking about the engineering up front because you can't afford a single mistake. Correct. And that's when I was talking to, you know, I put up your coaching for injection molding perfection. I'm not kidding about when I when I was saying that, because when we talk about perfection in, in your business, the injection molding building business, you don't have room for an error. No, no. And in days past, there was big margin because there wasn't a lot of competition. Yes. Today, um, if we supply quotes and it's easy to talk automotive because we're surrounded and most people understand yeah. what a car is and what a car yeah. looks like and all that stuff. Um you know, they, they would shop three or four shops locally. Well, today they might price China, Taiwan, Japan, Korea. You know, you talk about the Asian side, then you come to our side, you know, there's stuff down in Brazil and south of the equator. Mm -hmm. and you're thinking, south of the equator, is that possible? And then, well, hell, look at Texas. And then you get down to Florida. Like, it's everywhere. You know, tools from Quebec all the way down to Florida. I, we compete with all of them. Like, yeah. we sometimes, like this year was our biggest year for quoting. I think we quoted uh, more than a billion dollars of tooling. Oh my goodness. Quoted. Quoted a billion. Yeah. Wow. Because you're looking for opportunity. Yeah. So the downside of what we do is is we, you know, we, we, we're diversifying. We do a lot of everything, but there's a fair amount of quoting that goes into that. Yeah. So a guy that only does bumpers, as an example, if he's just a bumper guy, he knows bumpers, he quotes bumpers, he builds bumpers, 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 bumpers. It becomes somewhat common. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the people, the designers, the engineers, it's similar. Hey, you know, it's, there's lessons learned and Mm -hmm. that's the niche they go down. The downside is if you're that niche guy and the niche goes away, yep. you're having a yard sale. That's for sure. That's for sure. And uh, over the years, you've seen a few of those, I'm sure. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Yeah, that's too bad. But the, so when you look at this and you look going forward and you talk about the the design and the the actual, the the whole process you talked about is just, just phenomenal because on your website, you talk about this 20 to 30% uh, faster, getting your processes faster. How much have you been able to speed it up? If you just had a guess from 10 years ago, a tool oh. 10 years ago would cost, take you how much time and how much is it now? Oh my God. It's hard. I don't know how to accurately answer that, but we are, I, I don't know if I'm lying, if I say two times faster, but yeah. Yeah, like we used yeah. we used to drill a hole, you know, and we'd say, well, you could drill that hole at, you know, four hundred thou a minute, you know. Then we were drilling at four inches, so in steel, four inches in sixty seconds. Oh We've god! Tools now that we can do twenty-one inches in sixty seconds. Oh my goodness! Like the technology, but it's one thing to have the drill, but you got to have the horsepower to turn the drill. Now you've got to have the computing process to push and control the machine to do that. Yes. You've got to have fixturing that holds the workpiece to allow you to drill so aggressively. All these things happen. So you've, you know, yeah. you're, you're looking at these technologies all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's no doubt because that speed, that speed, as you said, that, that is key. And, and like in your business, you can't, that quality is assumed. You can't make a mistake, but you have to go fast to be competitive and good in what you're doing. You do. So and you're always looking for new technologies and, it, and it's kind of a funny thing. You know, like some of these drills I, I speak about, they used to be just high speed steel. Yeah. And then they, you know, we're inserted where the tip was carbide. Now they're solid carbide. So these small diameters, I mean, we, I mean, 10 years ago, we had solid carbide reamers. It was a very small, like a three-eighths diameter. They were reaming the hole at a thousand inches a minute. 
that was unheard of at the time. Yeah. And now we don't really even ream holes. We drill so accurately, there's not the need to go and ream the hole. So yeah. Even the processes have changed. You know, you would do, you would need 10 different machines to build a mold. You start on a rougher and then you'd go over to semi and then you're yeah. on the pouring mill and, and you would have this process. The equipment today is so good. You might only touch three or four machines because you're doing many, many operations on a single machine because of the flexibility of the machine. You know, you, you maybe got the advantage of horsepower or speed or, you know, rigidity, all of these things, you know, depending yeah. on what it is, allow you to be competitive. Yeah. And you got, you have spent in Cavalier, you guys have a lot of specialized equipment when you yeah. look at it. I mean, this is not stuff that you're going to find at your local, you know, no. Haas place. I mean, you guys have some, he like you said, to do the kind of things you do, it's heavy duty and it's made for that purpose. Almost all of our machines are, are custom uh, built. So they're spec'd. And a lot of times we use what I would describe as a boutique builder. So we are really using the Porsche or the Ferrari yeah. of the mold. You know, we're not using the Haas, which is like your Chevy Impala. Yeah, yeah. wouldn't work for us. It's not what we need. Now, that being said, you, you can't run everything on a Porsche because your sell price would be so extreme. But the circumstances are, if you're selling speed or something unique, people will pay for that. You've yeah. got to find that, that sweet spot. So well, it's, a, it's a combination of things. And investing in the right equipment allows you, like you said, you go fast, you do it right, you, uh -huh. you know. And when you turn around and talk a little bit about this, you know, when you have that kind of company as, as Cavalier is, and you've invested in that technology and the equipment, um, I'm assuming that it does help to retain good employees. It does. So a lot of employees look for, um, you know, if, if I'm going to have a personal development, you know, what is that? Am I a better programmer, a better operator? Well, anyone that looks at the newer equipment, I mean, if you're driving you know, a 1985 car to a 2005 to a brand new 2022, you know, pe people in their mind can associate the quality with that. Well, an operator's like that. If, you know, my skill set, if I'm running a 1986 Karaki and I go across the street for a job, they're like, what the hell do you know? You're running a 30 year old machine. But if you say, hey, look, I'm running late model equipment, there's an assumed value or connection with that. Yeah. So that equipment is important. Um, and, and it's twofold. It's also for the customer. So the customer comes in and he sees what you're doing. He sees the high-end commitment, you know, the commitment to these high-end machines and what you're yeah. doing. There's a mental association to the quality, the speed, and the accuracy. So there's some mental check marks that start happening and you tend to get some of those awards. So it helps with employees and retention as well as customers. So it's yeah. kind of a whole package. Yeah, that's good. So uh, are you guys having a, a fair amount of, of trouble recruiting people now? I mean, people are talking about the 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 great resignation or whatever it's being called. But we are. I mean, it, it's very tough. So so the city we're in the city of Windsor and there's there's quite a few tool shops here. So it is very competitive. Um, there is a fair amount of work. So there's a lot of uh, employees going back and forth, uh, you know, money, opportunity, different things. It, it's been a challenge. And in fact, um, this year is every year we kind of designate something as a, as a primary goal. And this year it's the year of people. We really yeah. feel as though um, there's an opportunity here. And, and yeah. I'll joke just very quickly, but I think you'll get the point. You know, people talk about that generation where they, they want to come in late and go home early and work half as hard and get paid twice as much and jump rungs on the ladder. And, you know, some of the older generations, we don't want these people. You know, it's yeah. a piece of time. They're no good for us. Well, let's change that thinking a little bit. What if you're the guy that figured it out and you offered some yeah. kind of flexible shift or you created something that no one else did and you attracted and maintained that that talent, albeit maybe not the generation you wanted, but you were successful doing it. Mm -hmm. Why don't you take the steps and go down that path? 
So we do public speaking. I do manufacturing days. We we try to attract, uh, you know, some of the younger guys and girls because, you know, everyone knows what a fireman does. Everyone knows what a police officer does. A lot of people don't know what a, a mold shop does. It's kind of my job, or I feel it's my job to show them. It's not big burly men beat metal in the corner with sparks flying. Yeah. It's tech fast. It's really something. And there's some money to be made here. But how yeah. do you get that message out? How do you do that? Well, we do it ourselves. We self-promote. And it's working. That's awesome. That's awesome. Because you're right. I mean, I, I talk about this a lot. And it's obvious, part of why I wanted to bring it up is because I think we've, we've neglected a whole generation uh, honestly, of of children, by our our thought process that everybody needs to go to college and and, and or you, that's really the way to go, right? Yes. When you look at something like tool making, you look at the, the career that people can create from that skill. It is far superior, uh, a far superior career lifestyle they can enjoy than many other choices that they're being told about today. And, it, and, and I want so, to add to that women. A lot of uh, yes. women don't think this is for them, right? It's, it's a mold job. Why would a, a female be in that? And I disagree. We we were at one point the highest employer of females. I don't know that we are now because there's been some shuffling, but yeah. what's wrong with hiring girls? I think they're fantastic. Yeah. I promote that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's 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 everybody, everybody should consider this because it is a great career. Uh, and, and manufacturing again, I'm going to get on my high horse about manufacturing again. overall people have to understand. And we got to quit talking to our kids that shouldn't be going to college about going to college. And we got to show them that there's more ways to have, have really good productive careers and lives. If they, if they go into the technical trades like this. That can really help people that it just I just can't believe and we got Megan Zimba on here. She talks about this a lot. She's in Wisconsin and she helps young people in, in high schools, uh, you know, go to manufacturers, see manufacturers uh-huh. and, and really understand it. And it's it's something that it's. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Mike's talking about your manufacturing days, but that's that's great if you guys are doing that, having the open houses, because I tell you, some of those kids see what you're doing in your company now every day they're going to be blown away and they're going to want to be part of it yeah and it actually shocks me that our competitors and not all of them but some of them don't yeah. do that. I, i'm i'm surprised you know why why don't you blow your horn nice and loud and, and get into the schools and hell it's a lot of fun to do it and, and i enjoy the manufacturing days and it's really that we're creating and changing the minds we're, we're creating this attitude that it's better and there's an opportunity there and, and i'm happy to do it i really am yeah. Yeah, that that's that's so great. Well, Brian, I appreciate you taking the time today. I am I'm so appreciative of just being able to talk to you about the business, learn more about you. Just thank you so much for being here today. You're quite welcome. So, if someone wants to get a hold of you, Brian, I'm assuming they can get on the Cavalier site and you've got an info at down there they can oh, yeah. they can get a hold of you, but I just again so appreciative day of everyone listening. Brian Bendig from Cavalier Tool in Windsor, Ontario. Uh, it's man, your company is cool. I got I just gotta say, take the time to get on his website and take a look at it. And before we jump off, I, I miss I didn't say Kim. Kim was on today. Hi, Kim and John Buglino. 
I might've said it before. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much, Brian, for being with me today and sharing your story. And we'll be back again next week with the faces of business. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank Have you everyone. Awesome. I appreciate it. You bet, Brian. Thank you.